Welcome back to Parenting is Political. This is Mo. My pronouns are they, them. I'm Jasmine, she, her. And we are joined today by author and super cool person, Gabby <laughs> Riviera. The real love of my life. Yeah. The person that Jasmine is leaving me for. It's fine. Oh, it's fine. Wow, it's, time, it's time we got it out in the open. It's fine. <laughs> so this is our actual final podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Now that I'm relocating to be, <laughs> you're ridiculous. Oh God, can I get you both? Have ah. you <laughs> Deal. We are in. Um, but yeah, we're super, super excited to have Gabby on the podcast. And instead of describing who Gabby is, I'm just going to let her do it. Tell Hi, us who yes. You are. Um, my name is Gabby Rivera. Hi, I'm so excited to be here with you two, Mo and Jasmine, um, <laughs> on Parenting is Political. I am. Uh, a queer Puerto Rican writer from the Bronx in New York. Uh, I write comic books, and I've got a young adult novel, Juliet Takes a Breath, is my first book, uh, republished last September by Penguin. Um, I'm writing BB Free with Boom Studios, and I was the first Latina to write for Marvel. Marvel! With the uh, America, America Chavez solo mm-hmm. series. Woo! Yeah. Yes. yeah. Jasmine, did you read those? You're like a huge comic I mean, book fan. I am a huge nerd, but in between having the four children and organizing Ooh. a national nonprofit <laughs> and a podcast and being a licensed therapist and having sex with multiple partners... <laughs> Wow, wow. I have not jumped. But here's the thing. When they announced it, I promoted it as though I had. I I didn't, like, lie to anybody, but I was, like, hyping it up that much. But that's because I love Marvel. Yeah. I I had the chance to read Juliet Takes a Breath. Mo was obsessed. And now our 13-year-old daughter is currently reading it. Yeah, Zara is diving in. What's her name? Zara. Zalara? No, Zara. Z-A-R-A. Yeah, she's a sweet little black trans girl who is excited about all kinds of new worlds, and that's what your book does for so many people. I'm excited to like hear what she thinks. Thirteen, thirteen, thirteen. Yeah, we don't we don't really let you know. It's our kids' media. They get to have access to all kinds of different genres, all sorts of different. We we, the whole PG thirteen R rated that thing. We just throw that out. We just like to have conversations about everything around it. What came up for them. So we're excited as she reads through it, kind of what comes up for her. I I definitely, when I finished the book, I said, damn, I wish I would have had that in high school. That would have helped a lot. (laughs) Same. Uh, Same. That's definitely, like, the energy of writing Juliet Takes a Breath was like, hey, I want to write, like, a wacky, fun, you know, loving story about a queer Puerto Rican girl, right? And I also wanted to, like, offer a little tenderness to folks and offer, like, a different story that uh, young Latinas but young kids of color could connect with, you know? Um, yeah. It's good <laughs> so, stuff. So good. How did your community receive it? I'm curious. You know, that was the most fun thing. Like when I wrote, uh, I indie published Julia in 2016. Um, At the time, I was just kind of like scrappy writer, working day jobs, like trying to make ends meet kind of thing. And when I finally hooked up with like a print on demand situation, I was just shipping books, right? Like sending books like, you got a gay cousin? Let me send you a book. (laughs) You know, you work at the youth center. 
let me send you a book. Tapping other queers, like, yo, you're buying a book. Would you kick an extra $10 to help with the shipping? Like, it was beautiful. It was that hustle out the trunk of your car kind of thing. I love it. And so in the beginning, there was so much community support because I don't fuck with men and I don't lust after white positions of affirmation and and, and privilege, right? So I wasn't submitting Juliet here and there. And no, it was like, I wrote this for my friends, my community, my mom, my neighborhood, the Bronx. Like, so those communities supported me, queer women, women of color, teenagers in the hood, like (laughs) librarians, teachers, social, you know what I mean? Like black women, nerdy bloggers, like my community supported Juliet from the very beginning. It was beautiful. That's incredible. That's super yeah. great. So that's kind of a great segue into um, kind of the meat of one of what we wanted to talk about today on today's episode. Um, what's your experience growing up as a queer Puerto Rican in the Bronx? Um, yeah, just kind of dive in. There's, there's, it's a really open-ended question. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I mean, listen, I had a lot of privilege growing up you know what I mean like I'm a, first of all I'm a light-skinned Puerto Rican mix my parents my mom looks real Puerto Rican she's kind of more brown my dad's like lighter skin so there was like some of that privilege definitely you know um my parents were married so that is also a privilege in the neighborhood especially in the Bronx like literally out of um most of the kids of color in my class, I was the only one with parents that were still together. So, mm. so I definitely had like a secure, stable home. My parents were homeowners in the North Bronx. Um, mom was a teacher, so we had health care. She had benefits. Um, my dad was a salesman for Cafe Bustelo. Oh, ah. um, yeah, I know. Listen, coffee, cup be open. Ah. You know, chocolate chip cookies and some See? cheese. That's all it is. Wow. <laughs> that Dream. is all there is inside of me. Dream boat. <laughs> That's all there is inside of me. Yeah. That's actually your quote. A little it. bit with just like a touch of misandry. I'm I'm here I'm here for it. Um, you know, and I grew up again in the North Bronx, right? So it borders Mount Vernon and Yonkers. Mm-hmm. Um and I think when a lot of people think of the Bronx, they think of like the South South Bronx, mm-hmm. like um uh Hunts Point and like Boogie Down. Yeah, they think of like the 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 real boogie down, and so I lived, I worked in those neighborhoods, right? Like I worked in by Yankee Stadium, I worked on 180th, I worked all through the Bronx, right? But I lived in the North Bronx, um, and so I think I grew up with like a good amount of security and like housing stability, food on the table, um, grandparents nearby. Oh my God. The whole family lived in the neighborhood, you know? So, like, mom was, like, going to school. I, we were at grandma's house, and grandma was helping us with her our homework. Like, it was a very wholesome, big Puerto Rican family, like, upbringing. Mom, and as my mom, being a teacher, I learned how to read and write really early. And I have been reading and writing ever since. And also, my parents were really strict, right? I grew up Pentecostal Puerto Rican. What? Listen. (laughs) We're talking speaking in tongues. Yes. Slain in the spirit. (laughs) Yes. What? And so on top of that, my parents were really strict. So I was very sheltered. Um, Like, 
you know, certain toys were of the devil kind of thing. And like, don't go playing in the street because that's where the bad people are. And like, um, you know, a lot of pressure on being a good girl and a lot of pressure to behave. And like, so yeah, I had a, I had an interesting little upbringing, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but that's kind of like a general overview. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And how did your queer, um, how did the realization and coming into personhood and your queer identity intersect with your parenting and the experiences you had in the context of family? Ay, ay, ay. Y'all ain't coming easy with these questions. We don't do easy <laughs> questions on parenting as political. <laughs> um, I just, uh, also, real quick, side note, I want to give a shout out to Lori Halls Anderson, who is a, a tremendous author. Her book, Shout, is just glorious. And out of all the books on my bookshelf, my puppy literally just selected Lori's book. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. So I just want to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, listen, queerness in my household was like complicated, right? Because my dad had like visible but and open gay cousins, but it was still like so weird. Like the gayness like wasn't something that we talked about. Mm-hmm. It was like we acknowledge it, but we don't talk about it. Yeah, and then we're abused, you know. So like mm-hmm. it was like shrouded in darkness their queerness right and then on my mom's side nobody was gay and my mom just was like very much like don't be a lesbian like straight up <laughs> like I remember being 15 and and at the time Chaz Bono was publicly Chastity Bono yeah and she was on the Oprah Winfrey show with Cher I remember that about, yeah right and that was about her about Chaz coming out as a lesbian and I remember my mom just casually turning to me and being like you better not be a lesbian I can handle if you come home with a baby I can handle if you catch AIDS but don't be a lesbian oh my goodness that sounds very similar to my mom she was like we can figure out a pregnancy but just don't be gay I was like what damn And I just remember feeling like this ice in my veins Mm. because I was already like lusting after Angelina Jolie and Gia. Yes! (laughs) I introduced Mo to Gia. I was like, listen, this is going to dive you into a deep depression about the ways in which the world is just so full of pain. But in the meantime, you're going to become very aroused and it's okay. I want you to know it's okay. Mo watched him and was like, you're right, but where did she go? Listen, let me tell you, okay, the, the lengths that I went to, to I snuck a, a, a blank VHS first from my father's collection, right? Waited until the family was asleep. Snuck uh-huh. downstairs at 2 in the morning to record it at, on HBO, HBO at 4 yeah. in the morning. Yeah. And then down an hour before we woke up for church to snatch my tape and run to my room. Gia, man. I'm so proud of your ability to be so subversive at a young age and get your needs met. Yes. So that's for real. That's incredible. Um, It was was complicated. I was scared. I cried all the time. And I was a big believer. I was very much like Jesus was my dude. I love Jesus. I would proselytize as a kid. You can ask my mom and be like, hey, have you heard of Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? You know, like, so... 
I cried a lot and I was very much like, you know, God, I believe in you. And if you're so powerful, then just take this away. I didn't yes. ask for that. That resonates. Like, it's okay here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also that involves like my aspirations of my own body, right? Because I'm 15, there's puberty. And I remember feeling like guilty about masturbation and thinking that I was going to go to hell and like, that I was sinning and wow. like on literally like on fire from the devil <laughs> or some shit. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know. I was so scared. And as I went on like 16, 17, I started thinking like, well, I still believe that God is powerful. And so God must want me this way. If I've been praying with all my might, then God must really want me this way. And like, I felt good in that. And something in my 17 year old brain was like, trust that and then and then I was good that was your ancestors they were like listen Mm -hmm. (laughs) trust it and what a powerful um what a powerful thing to be able to to reframe it and and to to be confident in the reframe because I know that could transform so many young people's life and that really comes through in your work and your writing that's obvious that's obvious but I also feel like we both were brought up in the Christian church and um, had really religious families. And I always tell the story to people who have been in that community that we didn't realize we had the whole true love weight superpower. Like all of my friends were like, well, I'm having indecent thoughts about boys and I'm about to lose my virginity. And I was all cool, good luck. (laughs) And I was just like, I'm just gonna make out with girls. But in my head, I never counted it as losing my virginity because it wasn't penetration with a man. So I was a, still a virgin for a very long time. And, you know, obviously there's so many problematic things around the whole construct of virginity. But I remember right. being like 16, all these girls freaking out about spending time with boys. And I was like, it's not a problem if you need someone to talk to. I'm, I'm happy to support you. Yes. <laughs> I'm very good at shoulder rubbing. You're like in church camp, just rubbing other girls' shoulders. Like, it's going to be okay. Just pray it away. Pray it. Lean on me. <laughs> uh, so good. Um, yeah, so I've, I'm relating to a lot of, um, you know, certain parts of what you're saying, obviously. Um, so, thank, you know, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And, no, you know, course. parenting is political. Has, what? I was going to say, it's important for folks. I think there's a lot of sadness and tenderness. I think a lot of us come from faith traditions that have rejected us, whereas we did not want that rejection. We still want that divine faith unity. And I feel like it's important for us to talk about that. You know, God and relationship to God is often kind of like mocked sometimes in queer spaces, you know, especially in white queer spaces. Um, They don't see that as a valuable thing. They see it as something that should be thrown away. Um, when in reality, like as queer people, we are the divine. So we need hey. divine. <laughs> yes, you know? yes, absolutely, absolutely. My ex girlfriend, who I just got to spend the weekend with, is very devout in her faith. And I have always found how complicated it is for me to even interact with her because my like personhood and queerness was informed a lot by like the colonization and whiteness and internalized white supremacy. And so whenever I became more out and more unapologetic about my queerness, it came into conflict with the black 
um, Southern Baptist energy that my grandmother brought to me, but that was always a safe place for me. It was the white evangelical church that was super violent for me. And so, um, yeah, it's been a really interesting practice to have folks like my ex-girlfriend and other friends of ours who are queer and trans who are still really anchored in faith traditions hold that um, because it has felt like such a strong reaction and a desire to reject it and and to dispose of all of it. And you really articulated how we can hold those things in tension if that's what we need to do, Yeah, if it's appealing to us and if it is important for our life. So... That's yeah. lovely. Yeah. Um, so on parenting is political. I mean, like parenting is in the word uh, or in, like in our name, but it's. I often say like you don't have to be a parent to really engage with the things that we're talking about. Um, but you just told me recently that you are in the process of becoming a parent, and <laughs> I would love to hear because we, you know, went through our own parenting journey living in Arkansas um it was was trash being queer trying to find doctors and physicians and you know caregivers who would treat us well and uh even give us services in in the first place um and it's it's a really you know and one of my biggest like statements is it's how you choose to create your family is deeply political um, yeah. And so, like, I would love to hear what your journey has has been like and mm-hmm. where you're at in that process and what, what things are coming up for you as you're starting to really think more and more about, oh, I could be a parent very soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And while you're, like, while you're simmering on that, your answer, I just want to offer that we have a 10-year-old daughter who uh, has just started puberty. And if you want her, you can just... <laughs> Just take you one can of just our have kids. her. Just take Addison, please. It's- no. Show <laughs> <laughs> you. Even when I worked with kids, I was good with babies and teenagers. That middle, it's middle school is what It's garbage. It's we garbage. don't know. Anybody that knows, let us know. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about parenthood and what's that looking like for your family. Here's the thing, right? I'm 37 years old. I, up until very recently, I've been single for like five years or so. Um, and uh, I definitely have always wanted to be a parent, be a mother. You know, I like I said, I love babies. I, I've, you know, with big families, you always got somebody's baby in your arms. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I just feel it. I feel it in my heart. And, um, you know, I'm butch presenting. I'm chubby. I'm like tattooed and still this body to me is like I would love to have my own baby um and also keep my house open to the potential of like foster teenagers you know and like um different amalgamations of family you know what I mean um so so yeah so I had kind of I think there's this you know, we are always impacted by heterosexuality, right? Like, no matter from the moment you wake up in the morning, there's some straight people impacting your day, right? <laughs> like, in a coffee commercial, when you look outside, like... So I think I also internalized some of their family structure by always assuming that I needed to get married to a woman or get married to have a baby, right? And... um when you're single for like five years in your thirties, you really got to sit with that for a minute and be like, well, am I kind of 
aiming for this like heteronuclear traditional family is that slowing me down like what is family to me Mm -hmm. and so I did a lot of personal healing last year uh reflecting meditating just just so many things happen right even going back to Puerto Rico and visiting my grandparents like uh birthplace and finding where one of my grandmothers was born like much healing and I came into 2020 like oh I am abundant with love and this is the perfect time to have a baby yes Yes. <laughs> that just gave me goosebumps man <laughs> felicidades <laughs> right like I was yes. like I'm so good there's love all around me I mean you know I live with my brother and we also have a roommate slash mentee I feel loved by them on a regular basis my parents love us the neighbors there's love everywhere and what better place to bring in a baby Aww. and so I was all ready for it and like you know, things were like the universe was offering things to me. I turned around and went from having no insurance to doing a gig last year that got me full insurance for the next year. Yes. Like things are falling into place. And I was talking to all sorts of queer parents about how did you have your baby? And families and, and single moms and single trans dads were coming out of the woodworks being like, well, I did this. I did. I found sperm through a community website. Yeah. I, I paid for mine. I somebody surged. I found all of these ways. And I was like, oh, I love this. Mm. I love that we can we were made to have family however we want. Yes. Um, And so the thing about it is, is just as I was kind of getting ready to set up an ultrasound and connect with like a clinic uh, to maybe like purchase sperm, but just to make sure everything was okay, COVID happened. Mm. And so it has like, man, I got to tell you that first month I felt like I got like kicked in the chest like my big baby dreams just got like stomped and like I didn't realize it but like in therapy like a month later I realized that like I was grieving this baby Mm -hmm. like I was depressed yes because of COVID because of pandemic but it has stopped my baby plans cold and then I was like really depressed and really anxious and really upset and I didn't really know why and talking through it was like, oh, well, you made all this room. And then it's almost like this was taken from you. Mm-hmm. So there is grief. And that's okay. And you can name that as grief and you should feel it. And it, it is part of this experience. And no matter what parental journey you're on, you got to be ready for grief, right? Yeah. Like, and so I'm kind of at this point working my way back to being like, can I have a baby now? Like, I know there's millions of women pregnant or people, excuse me, pregnant Thank all you. over the globe. Sometimes I'm like in my head, like, well, most of those people may be in hetero relationships and they just get pregnant. So Am I more guilty of having a baby during COVID because I would be planning this baby? There's a lot in my head right now. There's a lot that I'm worried about and a lot that I'm thinking about. 
Thank you for sharing that with us. It's such a real and vulnerable reality. Um, and, and as folks who have um, navigated buying sperm and then finding a known donor and doing the shots and going through everything, we had the same sort of feelings come up because we've internalized capitalism and being working poor people, we were like, we have three kids already. We should just be thankful for what we have. Is it responsible for us to be spending $800 on a vial of sperm to try to have a pregnancy when that could like pay off credit card debt that we took mm-hmm. out in order to pay groceries three years ago that we still have? You know, there's all there's always going to be those systems of violence and oppression, those questions that they implant in us, that we internalize. And I think for me, those questions come up because they are a tactic of those systems to limit the generosity and the self-determination and the resiliency that we all have inborn in us. And it's an invitation to go, oh, wait, where did I learn this myth? Where does this guilt come from? Where does this shame come from? And how can I excavate it from myself and disabuse myself of the belief that I even need to, you know, like meditate on that at all, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, there is a lot. Ah, that is a lot. Yeah, because I wonder how often like cishet white men of, of like able body class privilege stop and go huh I wonder if this is a good time for me to do the thing that I really want to do the thing I feel called to pursue <laughs> wow yes oh my god <laughs> and they, so they even have thought right about right. like the impact of having a baby right <laughs> right just out here prop- propagating colonized whiteness everywhere in our indigeneity in our art and everything if I want to fucking get something pregnant, whether it's with an idea, an actual baby, you know, impregnate a space, I'm going to do that because that's my process of decolonizing and living in the world in, in a free and expansive way. And there right. are definitely like logistic conversations you have to have with yourself around like, OK, well, do I need to save up or do I need to make sure I have extra support or a safety plan or all kinds of different things? But that's a different kind of planning um, than interrogating a desire. And we're so trained to interrogate our desires. And if there's crisis or struggle, we have to do this cost-benefit analysis of our black and brown desires are not worthy enough. They don't have enough value. And yeah, I mean, I encourage you to continue to sit with that discomfort. And I, mean. <laughs> I you know, I, I am. And like, it has been really helpful to like be in therapy. And I even talked about it with my mom because I was afraid to talk to people that had kids because, you know, it's like, I respect mothers, parents so much. And I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, well, I'm a lizard mom and it's the same thing, you know, like it's it's fine. You know, you can be that person. I don't hate you, but me personally, I'm like, you know, I respect that, that, (laughs) that relationship so much that I was like, I can't tell my mom that I feel grief over a baby. That was just a thought. And literally when I told her, she was like, oh, Nana, of course it's okay. Oh my gosh. I love you. Like, don't worry. Just take your time. And it was just this like wave of support you know what I mean and so once again like it's the communities that come through it's other queer parents that are like you better keep pushing G like you better have your baby you know what I mean like um and reminding me that like 
there's always been struggle. There's always yeah. been disease. There's always been revolution. Like, yes. um, and that it doesn't stop them. Like you said, Jasmine, it doesn't stop them from littering the world with Trump babies. <laughs> with tiny tiny hands we need your baby to help combat when those other babies grow up yeah when people start making really um cross comments about how many kids we have because we have four and then we're thinking about having another one Mm -hmm. and then um i will probably have another one with my ex-girlfriend and uh well Whatever. Well, like, probably not X at the time, if oh, we're okay. going to be honest. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Shout out to Megan. Anyway, anyway, and so people are like, that's five, almost six kids. Like, what are you doing? We always just respond that, like, it's just, this is our part of the movement. We're just going to keep reproducing radical, like, anarchist <laughs> babies until there's so many of them. They can fight the white birther movement, and they're like... <laughs> Look, quiverful. We're, we're parenting we the revolution. We our here. own Duggars. Yes. We live in the town that the Duggars live yeah. in. <laughs> we live in the town that's oh, yeah. Stone throw away, man. Arkansas, what up? We're just a couple of blocks away. <laughs> so we see them out and about, and my kids are like, what's good, G? <laughs> 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 and our kids are grimy, you know? They don't no, do the respectability <laughs> politics. If you need to be rescued, blink. Here's the number. <laughs> we got to we got to be careful. They're going to listen to this podcast, and one of us are going to have to adopt them, and then mm-hmm. I'm gonna, it's going to it's going to be a whole thing. Wow. Yo, and that's you know that's another thing, right? Where it's like the LGBT. I've said this before. I'm gonna keep saying it. The LGBT movement was so focused on marriage equality that it mm. forgot about radical families. Hey. Right? Yes. It's, about the fact that like you know we pull each other in it was it's us housing each other yes these balls and what's the thesis and drag mothers that was radical living mm-hmm. and survival of older trans women pulling kids in and older gay men you know the good ones bringing them in for mm-hmm. safekeeping and yeah. old bush dykes helping out you know what i mean like yeah it wasn't us rushing to the altar to have our like you know, marriage recognized by the state and codified by the state because fuck the state. I mean, the black Latinx uh, indigenous universal trans community have given us prototypes for families for centuries. So yeah, I want like big packages for all sorts of families. Like I want to be able to get money from the state that helps me expand my, my home by groceries for taking in, uh, kids that have aged out of systems or aged out of care. Like I want radical reexamination of how we do health insurance and, and what we consider family, you know? Cause like you said, if you two got, if you, you all two together have four kids and then you have other children with another partner, all of that should be considered like one family, if not yeah. one very small, adorable town. Um. <laughs> that's the that's the goal, honestly. We're gonna take over the yeah. town. I'm just trying to play Sims in real life. <laughs> like I'm Animal Crossing my way to liberation. <laughs> well, <so> we dumb. <laughs> we are out, almost out of time, yep. and I, I feel like you have answered why parenting is so political. Um, which is so beautiful and it you know it like your vision of parenting and family is incredible 
And all jokes aside, when you do come to the place where you're in that active stage of pregnancy or parenthood, just make sure you give me the link so that I can sign up for the form to be like in the running for godparent because <laughs> you don't even crack a smile. You say that like <laughs> this is what Mo has to live with. My goodness. I'm not good at hiding any reaction or emotion either, so I lose it all the time. She's oh, just you are so cute. <laughs> Thank you. That's recorded. That's on yeah, that's permanent. Well, what I'm what I would love is as I move forward to be able to reach out to y'all and yes. have like be part of my like queer parent circle to yeah. ask questions and like I also want my baby to have siblings, you know, and like how can I? We do have that? a few. <laughs> they are generous. Yeah. They are generous, and they will welcome any siblings. Yeah, yeah. So if you guys are open to that, yes. I would love that. Absolutely. I love when podcasts end with like proposals. I know. <laughs> I feel like. No. I, oh my god! You're a freka too. <laughs> <laughs> I see oh what's God. happening. Watch out, listeners. Watch out. They're gonna they're gonna seduce us all. Yes. That, that's why we started it. Come you have can, babies with us. You caught on. It's kinda it's kinda legit, but not really. Um we, we really, really appreciate your time. Um I feel like man, that went by super quick and I feel like we um could at least talk for three more hours. Um I love the connection that we made. I'm looking forward to um, all the future interactions and maybe hopping on another episode down the road yeah. whenever you can have sweet baby sounds in the background, question mark. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that would just be too cute. I'm here for it. Yes. This is beautiful work, revolutionary work, healing work, no matter what people tell you to the contrary. Like, this is the energy and the care that we all need right now. So thank you for the work that you're doing with parenting is political. Thank you for that edification. I receive it. Ashe. Ashe. Avem and afem, y'all. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear her say that I'm cute, though?